Hey, way to go. The question I have, though, Isaac, is were you even born when that song or that, uh, that movie, you were four years old? Uh, what a great time. What a great time. You know, we, we, we talk about the, the, the power of a love song. You know, maybe you've got a song in your life. Maybe it dates all the way back to your prom or, you know, that first dance or your wedding, whatever it may be. I don't know what kind of emotions uh, Titanic stirs in you. I wanted to stand up and yell, iceberg straight ahead. But uh, hey, we're talking about love, Uh, we're talking about marriage, we're talking about relationships uh, in this series that we're calling Making Love Stick. And, uh, you know, so much of what we hear today, whether it be in a song like that or something that you read, something that you see in a movie, so much of what has to do, according to pop culture, with making love stick has everything to do with, with finding the right person, right? Uh, it's finding the right match. It's finding, you know, that key person. Because here's what we all know. Here's what we all know about relationships and what we know about ourselves is that we all carry a little bit of baggage uh, into every relationship, Right? And uh, whether this was you before you were married or even today, uh, we, we all carry uh, so, some bit of baggage, some expectations, some desires and dreams uh, into every relationship, in, into every marriage. And so I, I was thinking this past week about what some of those desires are, what are some of those dreams, some of those expectations uh, that we carry into a, a marriage, because it has everything to do with finding the right person. You know, that that if I've got all of these dreams, if I've got all these expectations, then I need to find the perfect match. I need to find that right person who will take me uh, for for who I am. And so thinking about those different things, um, you know, this piggy bank. Uh, we, we all carry some desires for a lifestyle. We all carry uh, maybe a, a certain desire for a particular house or a particular car uh, that we want. We carry that into our marriage uh, and into our relationships. We, uh, we carry our dreams, you know, the things that we dream about, you know, whether it be our career or the place we want to be one day. Uh, we, we, we carry dreams and desires and expectations as it has to do with uh, children. And babies, and maybe you're the type of person you're like, you know, one year and yes, let's have, let's have a baby, or two years and yes, let's have a baby, or five years in, and, and maybe some of you guys are like, doesn't the world have enough kids already, or, or you know, um, you know, some of you, uh, you know, considering this photo album, you, you bring a history, you bring a family history into a, a relationship, and if you're on the other end of that, that means in-laws, you know, and, and that can be good or bad, you know, depending on the situation. Uh, we, we, we have these desires for intimacy. And uh, every single one of us, God wired us this way, these desires for intimacy. But, but for some of you men, those desires for intimacy never involved any, anything that, that, that maybe looked like this, you know. It had something else a little different in mind. Um, we, we carry these needs for, with our emotions, you know, because we all have a story. And, and maybe you, you bring some hurts. Maybe you um, bring some wounds uh, into your particular relationship. Uh, every, every single one of us is out, you know, looking today, asking the question, you know, is it possible, you know, for me to find the right person? Because, again, if I can get this zipped, we, uh, we all have a little bit of baggage, right? We all have a little bit of baggage that we carry uh, into every relationship. And so we're asking with every person, you know, can you take me for who I am? Uh, can you take me for my needs? Can you take me for my wants, for my dreams, my expectations, and my desires? You know, there was an article in the New York Times recently, not too long ago, that talked about the growing popularity of online dating services. Uh, did you know that today there are over 1,500 
uh, dating services, online dating services alone in the United States, bringing in about $975 million a year. Now, most sites have a similar approach. Sites like Match.com or eHarmony or Chemistry.com. Uh, believe it or not, there's a FarmersOnly.com uh, dating website. And, and each of these sites offers all of their own unique styles and methods uh, working forward with you to help you find the right person. But if you really want to take it to another level, scientificmatch.com is another for as little as $2,000. Not only can you establish a profile that will authenticate your age and your singleness status, but for every person that, that enters into this system, there's also a financial and a criminal background check and a DNA scan. Believe it or not, if you want to be a part of scientificmatch.com, you have to have your cheeks swabbed so that they work to match you with the right person. They're taking DNA into account as well. Again, helping you find the right person. Now, why do all of that? Why to go to all of these steps? Why, why, why go to such an extreme? Because it's about finding the right person, isn't it? I mean, that, that's what our pop culture tells us today, that the key to a successful marriage, the key to making love stick is finding the right person. Now, if you're fortunate enough to find the right person, whether it be through a dating site or maybe a friend introduces you to someone, maybe it's someone that you met at college that, you know, you got to know. It, it doesn't matter. The key, again, the key to making love stick is finding that right person. Because, again, here's the thing. We've all got a little bit of baggage. And some of it good and some of it not so good. We've got these dreams and desires and expectations. And we carry this with us before every person that we meet asking, you know, this is who I am. Will you take me for who I am? Uh, and could you be the perfect match? Could you be the perfect fit for me? Now, the question I want to ask was, what if you pick the wrong person? You know, what, what if you pick that wrong match? What if you've asked that question about your own relationship or your own marriage or a previous marriage? You know, the same New York Times article mentioned another site. Here's how another dating site promotes themselves. We're no eHarmony. We help married people who are in unfulfilling relationships find fulfillment elsewhere. Life is short. Have an affair. Yes, you heard it right. It is true. I heard about it on the radio again the other day. This site boasts more than 5 million members. Anyone interested... And having an affair. You can't find fulfillment in your marriage. Married the wrong person. Go ahead and have an affair. And I'm not even going to tell you what the name of the website is because I can just hear it now. You go out and you tell your buddy about it. Say, yeah, my pastor told us about it at church, you know. (laughs) But again, we put so much effort into finding the right person because, again, if we don't find the right person, it won't work, will it? I mean, we can't make marriage work. We can't make it stick. You know, you know we, we, we make marriage sort of like, you know, winning the lottery. It's like finding the right ticket. That, that marriage is kind of the same way that some people get lucky and some don't. Some stumble upon that right person and others aren't able to find that right person. Last week, we, we started into this series called Making Love Stick. If you didn't get a chance to hear week one, I'd encourage you to check it out on our podcast or uh, you can order a CD back at, at the Info Hub today. But we started with a question, a great question that comes right out of a movie that you may or may not have seen. Um, the movie Juno, the, the story of a girl named Juno is a girl who gets pregnant and has to make a decision what she wants to do with this pregnancy. And she's with a guy. She's in a relationship with a guy that she's not too sure about. And, and throughout the movie, she gets to know this couple, a couple that's interested in adoption, but, but discovers that their marriage is a mess. And then in her own home, I mean, her mom and dad are divorced. And so there's dysfunction. There's relational disaster after disaster all around her. But about two-thirds of the way through the movie, Juno asks her dad a question, a great question, a powerful question that's kind of serving as a thread for us as we talk about, you know, what it takes to make love stick. She, she asks her dad this. She says, Dad, is it possible for two people to fall in love and stay in love forever? Is it possible to make love stick? 
And again, I think we all ask that question at some time or another in our life, don't we? Uh, we ask that question, is it possible to make love stick? You know, I mean, whether you're single and, and maybe you've seen some really close marriages or, or, or close relationships around you fall apart, you know? Uh, maybe you're married and here today and, and things are going good in your life and things are going great, but you've seen other marriages fizzle out and you just want to know, I mean, what, what's it going to take? I mean, things are going well here at five years and at 10 years, but what about at 20 or what about 30 years? How, how do we make sure that this doesn't fizzle out? Maybe your marriage and it isn't. Maybe you're in a marriage right now and it isn't good. It's not great. And maybe you're here today and you're asking, you're holding out wondering, is there any hope? I mean, is it possible for two people to fall in love and stay in love forever? Is it, is it possible to rekindle a love that was once there? Now, I don't mean to simplify it, but, but the answer is yes. I mean, it is possible for two people to fall in love and stay in love forever. It is possible to make love stick. It, it is a confident no doubt about it, yes but it takes work. Uh, In fact, it it takes a lot of work. It doesn't just happen. I mean, you've really got to work at it. I mean, last week we talked about breaking down this misconception that love is this great feeling. You know, we all love this feeling of being in love and that's all that it takes. It just, it just takes this feeling of love to make things happen, but, but it's not a feeling. I mean, it might've been a feeling when you first came together, when you first met and when you first started dating, but, but that goes away. I mean, love is an action. It takes work. And if you've been married for 10 years, and you're still holding out hope that love is a feeling is going to drive your marriage or lead to success in your marriage, you're in for a lot of trouble. Because love isn't just a feeling. It's an action. It's something that we have to work at. And this morning, I want to look at this idea, and it's a popular idea in culture today. I want to look at this idea that somehow the key to love, that somehow the key to making love stick is all about finding the right person. Because it's not true. You know, the key to it isn't about finding the right person. It's something else. If you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to take them and turn to Philippians chapter 2. I'll go into the New Testament about midway through the New Testament to the book of Philippians uh, chapter 2. You know, the question is, can two people fall in love and stay in love? That, that's the question that we're looking at today. and We'll look at it again in a couple of weeks. Um, God has something to say about this. He has something to say about this question and these marriages. He, he has something to say for those of you who desire to be in a relationship like this. And maybe you're single and you're waiting on God and you're waiting on God and waiting on him and still waiting on him. But, I mean, you have a desire for this in your life. He has something to say for those of you who are married, you know, and things are going okay. Um, But you want to grow in your love for your spouse. You want to see your marriage continue thriving. He has something to say for those of you that maybe you're in a marriage right now and, again, um, it isn't going so well. And what does it take to make love stick? God, God's got something for us. Uh, it might not uh, appear as obvious uh, in first glance, but the more we think about it, the more that we pray through it, it it's for marriages too. Philippians chapter 2, uh, beginning in verse 3, here's what, here's what God says for us. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. And, and let's just stop right there for a second. I mean, right out of the gap, God tells us what won't work. Uh, he tells us what really messes up the love, what really challenges any relationship. In fact, there are at least two conflicting attitudes uh, that can be taken up in marriage. And I want to take a look at the first of them with them uh, with you. If you're taking notes and you want to follow along with me, write this down. Uh, again, it's the first attitude, the first conflicting attitude in any relationship, in any marriage, and it's that of selfish ambition. Uh, God, God refers to it right out of the gate. Paul writes about it right out of the gate. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Selfish ambition carries it with it this idea of competition. Uh, it's me against you. It's you against me. It's my needs. It's your needs. It's what I want. It's what I need. It's what I desire. It's this me first kind of attitude. And we all have a little bit of this in us, right? Huh? 
How many of you are getting an elbow to the side right now? You know, even as I said that, no elbowing here this morning. But it's this me first living. It's always needing to prove that you're right. It's getting your own way. I mean, one woman said to, uh, to her husband, you know, it's not that it has to be my way. It just has to be the right way. And my way just happens to be the right way all the time. You know, God calls it selfish ambition. It's me first living. It's, it's everything centered on me. Now, the text says do, do, do nothing, not, not sometimes, but all the time. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. You know, meaning you don't always have to be right, men. You don't always have to be right. Uh, you don't always have to get your way. It's not about winning or losing the battle all the time. Ladies, you know, this kind of attitude doesn't hold up in marriage. God says it doesn't work. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. It won't work in marriage and it won't work in any healthy relationship for that matter. Back to verse 3 again. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But let's look at the second half of it now. But it says, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Now, the next word that I want you to see here is not the word humility. Although that's the obvious word and the word that we probably could spend a lot of time about, but not today. But look at the word consider. You know, do nothing out of selfish ambition and vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. You know, again, there are at least two conflicting attitudes that you can take up in any marriage. You know, our attitude is tied to the word selfish ambition, but the other is found in the words consider. You know, I discovered that this word consider or this phrase, um, you know, consider others better than yourselves is really a difficult one to translate. Scholars call it an idiom. Uh, basically what it means that, that it's a series of words that are difficult to translate because of the barrier in language of taking it from one language to another, one culture to another. But, but if you heard these words, you know, in humility, consider others better than yourselves. If you heard these words in this day and culture, as they were originally written, they would mean something to the effect of as often as possible. Let the other go first in line. I mean, that's the kind of attitude. As often as possible, let the other person go first. Humble yourself and, and have this you-go-first kind of attitude in your marriage. Now, now, think about how those words, letting the other go first, might apply to your marriage or to a relationship right now. Uh, it's not easy, is it? I mean, this attitude of let others go first. I'm not going to be me first, but I'm going to be other-focused. I'm going to let the other person go first. I mean, think all the way back to when you were a kid and, and maybe it was recess time and you were waiting in line to use the swing. All right, the swing finally opens up, but somebody jumps in line ahead of you. We don't like that. We don't like others cutting in line. Uh, or maybe you're at a restaurant and you're there with your family and you're waiting for a table. And what do you know? A table opens, but another family, another party of the same size, they get the table first. And you know, you're positive that you were there before they were. We don't like to let others go first. We, we were on our way back from vacation a couple of weeks ago in the car all day long, uh, driving on the interstate all day long. And um, before I tell this story, I just want to make it known that I don't have road rage. All right. I, I am not a victim of road rage by any means. My wife's not here, so I can say this. Uh, I am a very considerate driver, very thoughtful in, in all of my driving and practices. But, but I've got to be real honest with you this morning and just have a bit of confession that there's a game that I sometimes play uh, when I'm driving down the road. And I don't know if anyone else plays it or not, but especially if you're in the car for a long time and you want to get to a particular destination as soon as possible. But, but it's just a little bit of a game that, that I'll just call 
passive-aggressive driver, all right? And I don't know if anyone else plays a game like this or not, but, but it's a game called passive-aggressive driver. And here's kind of how it works. So, so you're flying down the interstate within five mile per hour of the speed limit, of course, and uh, you're in the passing lane, but, but here's how it works. I mean, there's a lot of traffic, and up ahead of you, there's a semi that has moved into the passing lane, and they're trying to get around another vehicle, but obviously it takes them a little longer. And so all of the cars begin lining up in the passing lane. And, but as I look in my rearview mirror, you know, here comes this guy, you know, this bozo of sorts that thinks for whatever reason, he doesn't have to follow the line. He can go ahead and get in the right lane and move as quickly as possible and somehow cut in at the very last minute so that he can do the very same thing that every single one of us wants to do. Now, when something like that is happening, and I recognize this in my rearview mirror, I feel that I have a responsibility as a United States citizen uh, to make sure that this doesn't occur. And so this is where the game passive aggressive driver really begins because I know that I have a responsibility, in fact, to be a good steward of the highway to make sure that this person does not get a chance to cut in. But remember, it's called passive-aggressive driver, not aggressive driver, because, come on, I'm a pastor, all right? I've got to be a good example. You know, I'm out on the road. And so it's my responsibility to kind of close the gap with the car in front of me, you know, so that this person can't come in, cut in passively, of course, and and then to not do it so quickly or leave enough room behind me that they can fall in behind of me. Because, again, I I have a responsibility. Everybody's playing, of course. I mean, we're all on the same team, you know, at this point. And, And, again, but it's about being a good steward of the road and and just looking ahead and even though i might get a little fist pump you know if we accomplish the task if we win it all uh, does anybody else play that game i'm not alone in that am i anybody else play all right we have a few my, my driver's ed teacher mr goldisich would be very proud you know of, of, my, of these practices on the road but but again the point is we don't like people to cut in line you know we don't like to let others ahead because line cutting is saying i'm more important than you uh, and, and I don't need to wait, and, and who likes that? But, but God's saying something different here. Uh, he, he says something so important about our attitude in life and in marriage. He's saying, hey, if you want to make love last, if you really want to make this marriage thing work and make love stick, you've you got to set aside this me-first sort of attitude and take on this let others go first way of think, thinking, to treat your spouse the way that you want to be treated to practice putting the needs of others first. Now, I know that may sound ridiculous for some of you. And if, if you don't do church regularly, if you don't put a lot of value in the word of God, I know that it's difficult to look at something like this and say, really? I mean, seriously, that's what we're supposed to do in 2011? Let others go first? Let our spouse go first? I mean, because it really seems countercultural. Because it is. But with these verses, God is saying that there is a way that is right in marriage and it works and it's not about maneuvering. It's not about positioning yourself. It's not about getting what you want all the time or getting what you need or what you feel like you're owed. Now, this is tough to understand. You know, especially considering, you know, what your marriage or what your relationship looks like right now. And it's difficult to practice, especially if your spouse is a real jerk. But it's so important that we get to the heart of what God is saying because if you will choose the attitude of God, you know, for your life and your marriage, there, there are no limits to what can happen next. 
Now, why is it so hard? Well, because our culture says, you know, says all the opposite. Our culture says you deserve this or you need this or you have a right to this. Don't be weak. Don't let your guard down. Stick up for yourself. Because the truth is it's about finding the right person. It's about finding the perfect fit. Because you have these expectations, you have these desires, and you have these dreams. And it's all coming down to whether you can find the right person or not so that you can get what you need. Because here's the thing. And this is the this 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 is the most important, you know, of, of everything that we talk about today. And this is kind of the big idea for you to take. If, if you don't take anything else, take this one. The key to making love stick is not about finding the right person. The key to making love stick is about being the right person. And that's what God's getting to for us here today. That, that's what Paul's referring to here in Philippians. That the key is not about finding the right person as much as our culture wants to say that. The key to making love stick is about being the right person in your marriage. And God says, here's what that looks like. It's not a me first kind of attitude. It's a let others go first attitude. It's this intentional choice to put your spouse first. It's this taking on this full responsibility for your attitude and your actions. It, it, it's letting the other in front of you in line all the time as much as possible you know, and so the question is, are you a me first person right now in your marriage? Or are you a let the other go first person in your marriage? I mean, maybe a question for you to take with you today. Uh, maybe a question for you to ask your spouse. Or an accountability partner or a close friend. Are you a me first person or are you a let the other person go first? I mean, why is the selfless living so important today? Because here's what typically happens in a marriage or in a relationship. Two people get together and everything is great at first, but sooner or later, wants and needs all begin to arise and begin to collide and then the games really begin. And two people start positioning themselves and making all of these strategic moves so that they can get what they want. But it doesn't work. Uh, it doesn't work for anyone. It's an attitude issue. You know, it's a husband and wife that are saying, you know, I, I, I'm going to make this work. We're, we're going to change directions in our marriage. We're going to take full responsibility. I'm going to take full responsibility for who I am in this marriage, even if the other person isn't ready to. I'm going to take full responsibility for who I am because it's not so much about finding the right person as much as it is being the right person in your marriage. I heard a joke uh, recently uh, about this husband and wife. And uh, something evidently wrong with the husband's health. And so they go to the doctor together. And, and the doctor spends some time in the examining room with the husband. The wife is in the waiting room. And, and some time passes. And the doctor comes walking out. And he's got kind of a distressed look on his face. And, and the wife looks at him immediately and says, whoa, you know, what's wrong? Is it, is it good or is it bad? And, and the doctor said, well, I'm sorry to tell you it's not good. Uh, in fact, your husband has a rare uh, blood disease and uh, if left untreated, he's going to die. And uh, wow, well, well, what's the treatment? And he says, well, it's not an easy one. And again, it's very unique, but, but here's what it's going to require. I mean, uh, it's going to require you being at your very best. Uh, it's going to require you pampering your husband, you know, at all costs, uh, giving him as much room and as much space, you know, for golf and, you know, taking naps, you know, watching NASCAR, whatever it's going to take. And, and it's going to take three cooked, well-cooked meals a day. I mean, not, no, no leftovers, um, you know, and, and it's going to take lots of intimacy, maybe even several times a week and, and back rubs and, and massaging and all these different things. I mean, you're, you're really, I mean, it's, it's going to be treating him like a king and and she's like, well, that's it? That's all it's going to take? Yeah, yeah, I'm afraid that's all it's going to take. And, and so she gets up and she goes walking into the examining room and her husband has no idea what's going on, but he looks at her in the face and he says, well, well what is it? Is it good or is it bad? And, and she's got this tear coming down her cheek and she said, honey, you're going to die. I'm sorry, that's just, 
That's just, that, that's all it is, honey. You're going to die. I wanted to find a way to work that in. I thought it was funny. I don't know many jokes. So uh, I ran across a quote by a famous philosopher. This is serious. G.K. Chesterton. Here's what he says. I have known many happy marriages, but never a compatible one. The whole aim of marriage is to fight through and survive the instant when incompatibility becomes unquestionable. For a man and a woman, as such, are incompatible. What's he saying here? He's saying, hey, we're all different. Every single one of us, we're all incompatible. And in, in some marriages and some relationships, you know, you know, some might be a little more than others. But, but the key to a successful marriage, according to Chester, is not about finding the right person. It's not she found her soulmate and you weren't lucky enough to find your soulmate because that's garbage. All right. But if you are a newly married, you know, and let's suppose you are officially declaring that the honeymoon is officially over and you're figuring out that, okay, we do argue. It's okay. You're going to be all right. We're all incompatible. We all got to work through these things. But the key to a successful marriage isn't about finding the right person because it's not going to happen. If you're looking for somebody that you're never going to argue with or never have conflict with, good luck. You won't ever find them. But marriage works well. And this is what God says, you know, and this is what Chesterton is even saying. You know, marriage works well when two people are committed to being the right person, working things out, serving one another with this you-go-first kind of attitude. So, so maybe something like this, if, if you're single, what it does for you is you're like, well, I can tell you one thing, I don't want to get married. If that's what it takes and if that's all it takes, uh, I, I don't want to have anything to do with it. Well, if you're thinking that, at least you're thinking seriously through what it takes. And if you're married and wondering, I don't know if I can do that, or I don't know how he would respond, I'm not even sure I agree with that, or how is that possible? Well, at least you're asking the right question. And again, I know this can be a tough topic, and I know that it's especially a tough topic for some of you that maybe you've been in a, a harmful relationship, or you've seen a marriage come apart in your life, or it's a tough topic if you grew up sleeping under a different roof every other weekend, and you know the pain of marriage, and you know what it takes. What I want you to see is it's not about finding the right person. It's about being the right person. Now, what do we do with this? Well, let's just ask that question if you're single. You're here today, and you're single, and what does it mean to be the right person? I I think it means be wise in the type of guy or gal that you go looking for. Um, Hold your standards high, because you're, you're, you're worth it. I mean, you're worth it, and your life is way too important to settle for someone. And if you're single, you know, what can you do right now? I mean, what can you do with this portion of your life to better yourself uh, for a future mate? I I would say be the right person right now. You know, begin practicing, uh, begin putting in place, you know, boundaries or practices or disciplines that help you become the right person. You know, you know what you do with your life, uh, what you do with your finances, uh, what you do with your faith and all of that. You know, work on being the right person. It all matters. Make, Make wise choices. Um, don't give your body away uh, to people that you're not married to because here's the thing, whatever you do in this part of your life right now, it'll all fill up this bag for you and you're gonna go carrying this into your marriage or into a relationship one day. And, And so work on being the right person right now if uh if your facebook status says in a relationship you know if that's where you are right now maybe you're dating um you know let me ask you this is this person that you're with right now are they a let others go first type attitude or are they a me first kind of a person I think it's important to ask that question. You know, are they someone who lets others go first? Uh, is it a, a let other go first kind of attitude? Is he regularly putting you first? 
you know, in your relationship? Uh, or is he or she more concerned about their place in line? I mean, if, if you aren't married right now, there is a little more value in, 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 in holding out for the right person. I mean, there is some merit in that if you're not married. Uh, if you're in a serious relationship or engaged, I mean, again, is this a, a person who let others go first or is this a me first kind of a person? I mean, please, th- this is so critical. I mean, it's so critical that, that, that we spend the right amount of time thinking who we might want to spend the rest of our life with. And, and I don't care if you've already put a deposit on the dress or a deposit on the reception hall. I mean, if, if you're looking at your relationship right now and asking some great questions, it's worth putting it on hold. I mean, it's worth taking some time thinking through is, can I be the right person for this person? And is he or she committed to do the same thing too? And if you're married to someone who is me-centered, bummer, dude. Man, you are in a tough place and there's nothing you can do about it. No, I'm just kidding. But seriously, if you're in a marriage right now and you're not where, where you think you ought to be, maybe for you or, or maybe your spouse, um, I, I want you to know that you can change, he or she can change. God, God can do some great things in a marriage, but it might mean you taking the first step. Um, I want to show you a few more verses uh, and then bring this to an end. A few important verses that continue speaking on this idea of this let others go first type of attitude, but specifically for marriage. And I'm going to tell you right off top, though, as we look at a few verses together, these are some of the most misquoted, misunderstood verses in all of Scripture. And uh, I want to make sure that we get them right today. In Ephesians chapter 5, if you want to go there, you can. Uh, God is speaking directly into marriages through the Apostle Paul. And he shows us an example of what it means to be the right person in a marriage. What it means to be the right husband or be the right right wife uh, in a marriage. What it means to take on this attitude, this attitude of letting others go first. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, again, spending time talking specifically about marriage. Here's what Paul writes. Submit. Mm, yeah. Some of you are like, oh, he went there. Really? I mean, that verse, I mean, I like this church, but, but, but you had to go there with that verse or submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul's talking specifically about marriages and he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now notice that this doesn't say women, wives, submit to your husbands because they are awesome. All right, I mean, they are the greatest creation, the superior dominant sex in this world, so submit to them. Doesn't say that, does it? You know, it doesn't say, women, let your husbands dominate and control you, and you probably ought to tie bows in your hair every day before he comes home from work. Doesn't say that, does it? No, it doesn't say that at all. I mean, that's what our secular culture likes to read into this verse, though. Husbands and wives, all of us, read it for yourselves. God's word for right living in marriage. What is he saying? He's saying, hey, you need to take on this let others go first type attitude in your marriage. And so two things that, that, that this verse shares with us, and you can write this down. The first one is this. It says, submit to one another. Very clearly, husbands and wives in your relationships, in your marriage, submit to one another. Take on this attitude, this practice of letting others go first. It's a mutual understanding. There's a high expectation, both sides, for husband and wife, women, men, submit to one another. It's God's way of saying, be the right person, let the other go first. Now, verse 22 speaks specifically to women, to wives, and notice what the verse says. It says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Now, don't submit because he is the Lord. It doesn't say that. But as to the Lord. I mean, he may think that he's the Lord, but he's not but submit to him 
as the Lord. You know, wives, as Christ has laid down his life for you, as Jesus Christ gave his life for you on the cross, you go make it a practice to lay down your life for your husband. Submit to one another. Take on this let others go first type of attitude. It's not me first living. It's living with the other person in mind. Now, verse 25 uh, speaks specifically to husbands. Uh, husbands, we're not off on the hook a, on this one. It, it, it's talking about the type of love that we are to have for our wives. Remember, as we talked about last week, that love is this action thing. It says, husband, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And because he loved the church, what, what, what was he willing to go to? What extreme was he willing to take? He was willing to give himself up for her. Basically, uh, he was willing to take a bullet for us for the church. He was crucified on our behalf. Now you husbands, you go and figure out what that looks like in your relationship right now. Not this me first, this self-centered type of thinking, but what does it mean for me to go lay down my life and sacrifice in such a way that even could possibly come close to what Jesus Christ has already done for me? Submit. We can submit to one another. You and I, every single one of us, husbands and wives, in your future relationships, we can make the decision to let the others go first. But now here's the key. What, what, what's the motivation in that? How do we do this? Because again, this doesn't come naturally. Our culture doesn't teach this. And certainly in many occasions doesn't model this. And so we have to work at this. And it, and it is so important whether your relationship, your marriage is, is good or bad or ugly right now. Back to verse 21. What's our motivation in this? Let's look at that verse one more time. Submit to one another. How? Out of reverence for Christ. We submit out of reverence for Christ. Do I submit because she deserves it? No. Do I submit because I know that he will respond? No. We submit. We take on this attitude of letting others go first out of our reverence for Christ. I mean, it has everything to do with our relationship. I mean, with Jesus, the more we submit ourselves, the more we surrender our lives to God, the easier this becomes for us. It may be the first step for you. It may be the next step for you in seeking to serve your wife or to serve your husband is to lay down your heart, to lay down your life before Christ. It's out of reverence for him. I want to look at Philippians 2, 3 through 8 one more time. I'm just going to read through these real quick. But but as I read these words, considering everything that we've talked about here this morning, I want you to ask yourself, what does this look like in my marriage right now? If I were to take this attitude for myself, what does this look like in my marriage? Philippians 2, 3 through 8 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, I don't know what those verses do to you today. And I don't know the work that God does in you today. But I want you to see and realize that Jesus didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to be held onto, but he humbled himself. He considered others as we've been invited to do the same, uh, that even though it meant dying a brutal death for me and for you, that he was willing to take that step. Um, He he did that for me. He did that for you. He he did that for your marriage. And and I want you to know, and I hope that you can see that I can find comfort, that you can find comfort in, in someone who's coaching you and teaching you and praying for you in Jesus Christ. And he is ready and willing 
to help you be the right person in your marriage. And so I realized this, that um, this morning's message might not answer every question that you have today. And what's hard for me, I think the great reality in all of this is that um, it, it's impossible for me to enter every situation and every home and every marriage and really understand, you know, what's going on in your life. Um, and so you might have some questions today. You might ask, you know, what if? I mean, what if? What if I make these changes? I mean, what if? What if I submit, but um, he or she doesn't deserve it? I mean, they don't deserve that that kind of love from me. You know, the thing is, you might be right. Uh, you might be right on, but. But I, I have to ask, I mean, do I really deserve the love that, that Jesus has, has given, made available to me? Or, or what if I submit? You know, what if I work really hard to, to be this right person and, and I do all of these things, but, but he or she doesn't respond? You know, the truth is that that's a possibility. I, nothing might happen. You know, Jesus died for everyone, but it doesn't mean that everyone's going to respond to his love. But let me ask you this question. I mean, if there's any hope in you at all, uh, for some change, uh, some great work of God in your life and in your marriage, healing or restoration, whatever it may be, um, is it going to happen if no one's willing to take the first step? And if you're here today and God's working on your heart and, and He's challenging you in some ways that you may or may not understand today, you know, to go out and love your spouse, um, shouldn't you respond? Uh, shouldn't you say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to try this and, and is it worth the risk to you? You know, God can heal anything. Uh, he, he can heal any wound. He can heal any marriage. Uh, he, can, he can save your marriage. He might be waiting for you to take the first step. But what about this? What if this whole submission thing, what if this letting others go first, it, it isn't just so much about saving your marriage or changing your marriage, um, but what if it's about you? Um, what, what if ultimately it's about you changing? And you become becoming a better person. What if, what if it's about humility taking over in your life? Or, or what if God's first desire in all of this is you gaining a greater understanding of His intense love for you? Let's pray. God in heaven, we, we come before you on this day. And... We, we're seeking your help with, with life and marriage. And we give you thanks for Jesus that he has made it possible for us to come before you. And, and we find confidence this morning that as we pray, uh, that you hear our prayers and that you are ready to respond. And God, if we're honest with ourselves, we know that we all have a bit of this me first attitude in our lives right now. And, and as a result, it might not only be affecting us, but maybe our kids and, and it's having this you know, negative impact on our marriage. God, I pray that we're reminded this morning that the Bible says do nothing out of selfish ambition. And, and if this morning um, the Holy Spirit is convicting you, as you realize you're doing a lot of, of selfish ambition kind of living, me first kind of living right now, and maybe you're recognizing you don't want this, and, and maybe as a way of acknowledging that you're seeking God's help in this, you're saying, I, I don't want to have this me first kind of an attitude. Um, I've been very selfish. I, I want to be in others, uh, others first. I, I want to. I want to treat my spouse as as I want to be treated. If that's you and where you are right now, maybe just slip your hand up right now and just say, "Hey, I'm just opening up my heart this morning and say I, I've got to change the way that I'm living." 
just maybe as a way of acknowledging this before God, just slip your hand up in the air and say, hey, I'm praying this prayer. God's doing this work in my life today. God, uh, we thank you uh, for these, these hands around the room right now. And, and not only do you see these hands, but you see our hearts. And as we open ourselves up to you, as people open their hearts to you today, I pray that you would forgive us and that you would change us and realign us in our thinking. God, that you would change our attitude to reflect more and more of Jesus. Show us what it looks like to serve our spouse. Show us what it looks like to submit, to love our spouse as you love us. And God, I pray that you would teach us submission in every part of our lives. I pray that you would tear away any false ideas or concepts that we have about this word, but that we would let the Spirit of God work in each of us today as we think about submission. And we do it not because they deserve it or not because we deserve it, but we do it out of reverence for Christ. We do it because he already did. You know, and as we pray today, you know, this, this reverence for Christ thing, I mean, it's, it's the most important part of it all. As we see and as we understand, you know, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ laying down our lives um, so that we could have life and have it to the full, you know. And because he has done this, you can do it too. And, um, and some of you are here today and you're trying to do this, this life thing on your own right now. And, and maybe this morning, as the Spirit works in your life, you're recognizing that you need Jesus Christ in you that you don't know him as your Lord and Savior. And, and if that's you and you'd like to invite Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior today, you can do that even right now before you go as we pray with, with every head bowed and every eye closed. Maybe just slip your hand up in the air as just a way of acknowledging for yourself and before God saying, God, I need you. And, and out of reverence for what Jesus Christ has done for me, I, I'm surrendering my life to you today. Thank you for that hand back there. You don't have to be ashamed in this. If, if God's leading you and to surrender your life to him today, um, you can pray this prayer with me. Pray it right now where you're sitting. You can pray it silently or out loud if you'd like to. Lord Jesus, take my life. Take all of it. Forgive me for the sins that have owned me and bring me back to God today. And God, we celebrate these prayers. We celebrate these lives that are offered up to you as, as people are finding their way back to you. And I pray that they would know the joy and the value of surrendering their lives to you today as they take this next step in a relationship with you, God. We celebrate you with you and we give you thanks and we give you praise. God, make us great believers. Uh, give us great faith to trust you in all things. Make us better fathers and mothers, husbands and wives, men and women, greater examples for you in this community and in this world. We love you, and we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.